This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, Episode 21. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am Brian Hood, here with my co-host, Mr. Chris Graham. Chris, what have you been up to, man? Well, um, I hired a new assistant. That's great. That's been going really, really well. Practicing what you preach there. Indeed. By the way, this is something we didn't plan to talk about today, but Chris spent a lot of time building out a manual for his assistant to take on. So when he hired her, she could just pick up and go from day one. She was, she was ready to take on all the things he needed her to do uh, on a day-to-day basis for his business. So I think that's a great way to go about it. Yeah, actually, it was thanks to you. You ref- referred um, the book Virtual Freedom to me. Yeah. And I really used that as a, a blueprint for how to go about hiring an assistant. And so far, so good. She's great. Yeah, that's the same book I read before hiring Sean. And Sean's the best thing that ever happened to me business-wise. <laughs> Shout out to Sean. <laughs> there you go, Sean. So if any of you are looking to hire somebody, I would highly recommend that book, Virtual Freedom. I'm reading another book you recommended to me called Peak Performance. And oh, yeah. that has been really, really, really good. Yeah, I think I mentioned that on the podcast maybe five or six episodes ago when I was reading it. Yeah, so I'm like, uh, I don't know, maybe a third or a fourth of the way through it. And it's been really kind of interesting to read it and think about how to apply that to being a little bit smarter and uh, doing a little bit better work. And, you know, one of the big things for me personally, uh, my wife and I, we are, we've got three kids and we homeschool. And so this sort of idea of peak performance and, you know, helping our brains function as, as well as they possibly can is we're really, really passionate about because we're homeschooling. You know, we're trying to figure out how to teach our children, not just as good as public school, but better yeah. than public school. So um, thinking about psychology and brain development and all this stuff, we're really into it. And it has an awful lot to do with what we're talking about today. And, you know, just about building a business in general, you have to optimize your brain. You have to get your IQ as high as you can get it much as I hate the word IQ, but there's a lot to this sort of self-optimization. You know, it's not just, you know, like we've talked about in the podcast in the past, it's not this, if you build it, they will come thing. It's this, you have to invest in yourself. You have to grow. You have to get smarter. You have to learn new skills. And it's only through that pursuit that you'll build a successful business or a lot of dumb luck. <laughs> I think I have a little bit of both of that. One of the things I liked about that book a lot actually was, um, the fact that it's not just a hustle, 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 grind type book. Yeah. It's not like a Gary V book. It's more like a book that's about, you know, making smart decisions and working smart versus working hard constantly. Because I've seen people time and time and time and time again, they're just working 78 hours, 80 hours a week and they're getting less done than someone doing 30, 40 hours of really highly productive work. Yeah. So I love that peak performance mentality versus work a lot. Yeah, me too. And before we get to the episode, I also want to talk about kind of what I got going on in my world over here. We've got um, our students in the accountability program. So if you join the Profitable Producer course when we launched back in December and January, uh, we also had an accountability program that started right after that, which is an eight-week kind of a boot camp, accountability accelerator boot camp. And it's like this eight-week program. Well, we're on week six. We just finished up week six today, actually. And there were 10 teams or nine teams in the top four after week six, go on to the playoffs. So you think of it like this. It's actually, I haven't really talked to you much about this, Chris. It's kind of cool. Like throughout the week, every single week, the assignments and extra credit we give, the teams are racking up points, right? And the teams with the most points at the end of the six weeks 
go to the playoffs. So we have the top four going head to head week seven and week eight in a bracket style playoff, which is fitting because of the time that I record this right now, we're in the middle of March madness with uh, basketball. If you're in the U S college basketball, where it's a super bracket style, single game elimination type tournament. And that's exactly how we're doing things. So we're about to go into week seven uh, next week. We're having a week off between week six and week seven and starting the playoffs and only the top team who finishes strong will win the grand prize, which uh, winning team, I think the winning team's getting $500 gift card for each member to sweetwater.com, which I think is cool. Mm. The few times I'll let them be little gear sluts. There you go. <laughs> I would buy another pair of headphones. I love headphones. That was the gear slut alert you just heard because I know Sean will put it right there because <laughs> you're wearing your new in-ears right now. Yeah, I've got custom molds today. I think we hit the 7.4 minutes of bantering that are required on podcasts uh-huh, yeah, via the, okay. the successful podcast formula. That's how this works, right? Yeah, we've actually had a couple episodes um, rejected by iTunes for not having enough banter. That's one of their, you're right. it's part yeah. of their policy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because that was just banter right now. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing great, man. Today's episode is all about hopefully not failing. We're going to talk about basically the thing that is most likely going to cause you to fail if you do this or don't do this. And I'll go ahead and spoil it right now. That one thing is just not being able to figure it the fuck out. So what is it? It is literally anything. It is every single problem you will ever encounter from today until the day you either quit and give up or the day that you are successful. You're going to have one of those two scenarios. You're going to be successful or you're going to be a failure, right? I mean, there's probably a middle ground somewhere in there, but we're going to ignore that for the conversation of this episode. (laughs) But you're going to either become successful or you're going to quit or fail or give up or move on to something else. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the people, the mindset behind those people that tend to always give up the first set of roadblocks they hit or the people that, for whatever reason, are always able to figure it out. This episode that I hope is something for you to take away and chew on, but it's also something for you to take some long, hard thought on how you approach problems that you encounter. Yeah. So you could basically sum up any small business. If you own a small business, it's a series of problems that you have to solve. Yes. It's in the most simplest terms. That is absolutely the truth. Yeah. And there's really two ways to approach that. There is, oh, Wally's me. I don't, Wally's? Is that how you pronounce it? Wally's. Wally. Oh, Wally's me. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I can't figure it out. I don't have enough qualifications or education. So I'm going to give up or this sort of scrappy, you know, very... And that, by the way, that's the, that's the victim mentality, which is a surefire way that you will not succeed 100%. Yeah. That is basically not figuring it out every time. That's the victim mentality. It's just, oh, everyone's out to get me, so I can't do it. So anyways, that's, that's my soapbox for that. Yeah. The first response to this series of problems is, oh, I'm not qualified. I can't figure this out. I can't do it. Wally's me. <laughs> or the second way is buckling down and figuring it out, man. Yeah. And, you know, you know, just sort of some background on this. The thing I am the most fascinated by in other people, the thing that I admire the most in other people is this self-starter mentality. This ability to have a problem, to know no one who has the solution and to figure it out through um, internet research, through reading a book, through watching a bunch of YouTube videos. and Trial and error is a big one. Trial and error, yeah. And the big thing to keep in mind right now is this younger generation. I I think what they're going to be called is the YouTube generation. YouTube? YouTube. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, I thought we were past the U2 generation. <laughs> you know, when you talk to a 15-year-old today, 15-year-olds primarily learn through YouTube. Yeah, I mean, what is their most visited website in the world? That is YouTube. They go to YouTube and they watch videos and they figure it out and they become experts. And they love it. This is a major facet of this youngest generation, much more so than even mine. And, you know, not to, uh, you know, be negative here, but sort of the more baby boomer, older generation mentality is not that. They're not as much of self-starters as the younger generation. Yeah, I was talking to my dad about this and and my mom, and I, I didn't really realize they just made a comment. The internet has been around less than half their lives. Yeah. And I can't even fathom that. Like I've had the internet since as far back as I can possibly remember since a child. So it's like to not grow up with the ability to find anything at your fingertips is a weird thing to me. Like, and so I get why the older generation, they never had the ability if they wanted to figure something out. It was even harder than it is today. They had to go to a library. They had to, you know, so I kind of understand why that is, but you know. Yeah. If they were lucky, they had an encyclopedia at their house. Yeah. That's, that's what I grew up with. Before I had internet access, we had an encyclopedia. And when I had a question, I would go to the encyclopedia and hope there was some information on it. But I really like to think that there is a, a real generational gap. And that generational gap right now is people who had internet access before they had a driver's license and people who had a driver's license before they had internet access. And for better or for worse, if you grew up in a world where the number one way that you were able to explore it was the internet, that will fundamentally change the way you approach problems. And that's how it was for me. It's like, if I encountered a problem, my default response to this day is to just Google it or ask Siri or ask Alexa now that I have the Amazon Echo in my living room listening to everything, every single thing I say and serving up ads based on my conversations. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, so this self-starter mentality we see more of it in younger generations than we do in older generations right now. I'm sorry if that's offensive. It's, it's an observation. It's not universally true. But the thing about self-starters that is fairly true is that it's something that our America, the country me and Brian live in right now, are from, that we were founded out of a self-starter mentality. You had to be a self-starter to be like, I'm going to get on a boat, go to the new world and figure it out. And I'm going to like wrestle bears and like work the land and, and figure out how to make a living <laughs> in this new country. The land of opportunity. Yeah. Self-starters were attracted to America when it was started. It was the best place to go if you're a self-starter. So yeah, just sort of summing it up. The self-starter mentality is the thing, you know, kind of in our notes here, we have the joke. Uh, we like it. We love it. We want more of it. It's the thing that, that we look for in a friend. You know, all my closest friends are self-starters and it's a fascinating thing when someone's a self-starter because they're constantly learning new things and growing and improving. And, you know, we've mentioned this in the podcast before. One of the biggest problems, you know, I'm a total homeschool loving hippie and (laughs) no way. Yeah. My suspicion. I'm well aware. (laughs) I'm drinking red Gatorade right now, by the way, which has got so much red food dye in it. Red 40, red 40. It's illegal in every developed country except ours. <laughs> Just saying. Anyways, the big thing that makes schools come up short is that they don't teach self-starting. By definition, they can't. The whole point of a school is so you don't have to self-start. It's to spoon feed you yeah. basically, yeah. 
And I'm not saying that all schools are that way, but there is a predominant mentality that will teach you. Yeah. So let's talk about people that, regardless of what country you're from or what school you went to or what your background is, there are two types of people and two types of people that approach problems in two different ways. And so let's first talk about the way that I think failures, and I'm going to use the term very loosely here. It could be a number of failures in different ways, but I'm just going to use the word because it's mean. And I like to be mean when I'm trying to make a point. This is how failures approach problem solving. Step one, they start a new thing, whatever that is, anything. They start a new job, a new business, a new hobby, a new career. I mean, whatever. Start a new thing. Step two, they encounter a roadblock or some sort of problem or any sort of resistance. And step three is they quit because they can't figure it out. They just give up. And that is, in a nutshell, what I see time and time and time and time again from people all over the, you see this on the internet a lot because the internet is such a toxic, horrible place in general. I don't see it so much in my circles, especially not in my students, but I see it a lot in the general public. And I hate to see this stuff a lot. I still do see it in you know some of my subscribers on some of my comments and some of my threads in the Facebook community. I've seen this in my students in the past, but in general, that is the two ways people handle things. And we hope to stop that from ever happening again Because if you listen to this episode, you have no excuse to be that type of person anymore. I think for me, the fun part about having this podcast is preaching to myself in the hopes that I would become more of a self-starter and that other people would come up to me on the street in the future or at, you know, NAM or Mm -hmm. NOM (laughs) or, you know, AES. Don't make fun of that. Chris is making fun of one kid in one scenario <laughs> for winter now. Inside joke. And inside yeah, joke. It's an inside joke. You can't do inside jokes on a podcast. You're no right. one knows what the hell you're talking you're about. Right. Lid Shaw does. He's probably listening right now and giggling. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So this idea that like it's fun to meet people, whether that's them, they listen to a podcast or you meet them in real life and they are inspired to become more of a self-starter. That's my story. That's Brian's story that we met people in our life and they were like, you can figure this out on your own. Here's some books to start with and changed our life. Yeah. And that's kind of, we talked about that a lot on the episode one of the podcast. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, I don't know what you're doing and go start at episode one if you haven't already, because we talk about this a little bit more in details about the actual self-starting thing. But this episode is more about just making sure you are never the person that just can't figure it out, whatever it is. For sure. Yeah. So that's our hope is that, you know, you listen to this podcast and, and you take self-ownership and you start figuring stuff out on your own. And especially in our industry, you can't just say, oh, well, I can make mixes just as good as XYZ person. And they sound exactly the same. That's not how rock stars are born. That's not how careers are made. They're made by being amazing at one thing and having a voice. And that when you hear a mix by so-and-so or you hear a song by so-and-so that you, within a few seconds, I've got a pretty good idea. That, oh, you know what? That's uh, so-and-so. And love him or hate him, John Mayer's that way. When you hear a John Mayer electric guitar solo, if you're a guitar player, you know within two notes, it's John Mayer. I mean, there are like so many other guitar soloists you could have named there, but John Mayer is one of those that has that kind of distinction. Yeah, he's kind of the one right now, the kind of the bigger one. Eric Clapton was the same way. Jimi Hendrix the same way. Jimmy Page the same way. You can tell immediately because it's distinctive. And in this industry, if you're not a self-starter and you can't figure it out, you'll never create your own voice. And that's an important part. This spills over in a lot of different areas. This is not just a business thing. This is not just your mixing. This is not just, I mean, this is, this is in relationships. This is in friendships. This is in you know, romantic and personal relationships. This is in family relationships. This is in 
financial things. This is in, this spills over into every single part of your life is just being able to figure it out. This is by no means a definitive guide, but just generally, how do you figure it out, Chris? When you hit a problem, what do you do generally? And you don't have to follow our outline. Just what do you do when you hit a problem? Well, the first thing I do is Google it. It blows my mind how few people have that immediate mindset behind like, I've encountered a problem. I should just Google that. Yeah. And that's, again, with this sort of generational gap is it seems to have gotten better in the last decade or so. But, you know, in the early 2000s, it was hilarious. Like anytime that you would talk with somebody, you know, over a certain age and they had a question or a problem, you know, you would say, oh, well, have you Googled it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe start there. I mean, there's even a site called Let Me Google That For You. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Go to, uh, I don't know if you have to, just, type, just Google Let Me Google That For You. If you can't figure that out, you've, you've failed this episode. <laughs> I'll give you, it'll be, in this, there'll be a show note link in our show notes that is a Let Me Google That link f- that shows you how to Google Let Me Google That For You. Sean, figure that one out. It's amazing. It's yeah. so good. So basically what it says is it'll, it's a link that you can click. It'll type the phrase in how to save money and it'll hit search on Google and it'll pull up the actual search results and it'll say that wasn't very hard now was it it's just basically shoving in people's faces like hey I can Google this for you or you can do it yourself but you're wasting my time basically forcing me to Google this for you yeah hilarious I remember the first time someone did that to me uh, I asked a question and they sent back a link to that website honest to God that site it gets the point across really fast though like it really does I wish I came up with it so what's the next way that you figure stuff out, Brian? I'll be the first to say I do a lot of trial and error. Ditto. I'm not afraid to fail typically. I've talked about this in the past where I have a perfectionist mindset a lot of times. I've gotten a lot better now where I just kind of throw something up and start getting some data back immediately because you know making informed decisions quickly is much, much better than making assumed decisions slowly where you're getting everything perfect based off assumptions. I'd rather move very, very quickly and fuck up a lot but get immediate feedback on data on what I'm doing wrong. I'm speaking mostly business stuff right now, uh, just because that's what our podcast is about. There's a million other ways to do trial and error, but. Well, I've got a good example. So in my business, we've talked about this in the past. There's a lot of custom code that I've created to help me manage the administrative part of the business so that I can immediately sit down and focus on art, focus on mastering. And, you know, I'm not trained as a coder. Oh, that's a huge, I mean, Go back. If anyone hasn't listened to episode two where I interview Chris, that is like the perfect episode that surmises this entire figure it the fuck out mentality. He had a problem. That problem was he was spending so much time doing fades, doing labeling, sending emails back and forth, you know, doing all this administrative bullshit in his business that he figured out a way to systemize things, to automate things to where he could just hit a button. So he had to figure out how to do it, which meant he had to learn uh, how to use, what was it, Apple scripts? Yeah, primarily Apple script. A lot of automation via Zapier, which if you don't know what Zapier is, there's your, that'll kick your ass right there with all the possibilities of things you have to figure out with that. Yeah. With Google AdWords, he had to figure that out. Like there's a lot that Chris has figured out in his life. Yeah, well, but the trial and error thing is really it. You know, that I would prefer to walk into a problem with absolutely no background information and just start poking it. And the beauty of something like coding is if the code doesn't work, you know. It definitively tells you, eh, eh, you know, it throws an error. You get an error message and the wrong, or the completely wrong thing happens. And that's a really great way to learn trial and error because there's no gray area as to whether it worked or not. 
Yeah. And that's how I developed a lot of my own sound is just, you know, maybe I started modeling after someone else, but I would just try, try an error. I would just do a bunch of things that I thought sounded good. The next day I would hate it and I would hate myself for even trying. And then the, that night I would try it again. And then the next day I'd hate it a little less and I hate it a little less. And eventually I got to where, even though I may not have liked it as much, I had developed my own sound. And if you, I don't know if you're the same, Chris, but no engineer ever or mixing engineer ever really likes his own stuff anyways. Well, I think we could relate this back to audio engineers. There's a lot of trial and error when you're in the studio to say, yeah, does this compressor sound good? No. Does it sound, I'm going to adjust the attack. Does it sound good now? No. I'm going to adjust the ratio. Does it sound good? Ooh, maybe a little bit. I'm going to adjust the, adjust the release. Ah, there it is. That's the sound I was looking for. And so if you have audio skills, there's no way you're not pretty familiar with trial and error. The next way that you can figure it out, and this is a little bit of a tricky one, mentors. A mentor that's good will help you figure it out. A mentor that's bad will just give you the answer. Oh my God, yes, a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, so a mentor that just tells you the right answer is pretty much worthless. That's basically school. It's basically school. And you're not actually gaining anything other than... You're not, you're not learning how to problem solve. This problem solving skill is the most important thing. It's like the one, you know, if you could be a superhero and you could either be like the Flash and run real fast or you could be like the Silver Surfer and you get this crazy Silver Surfboard or you could be like the Incredible Hulk and you can turn into this green muscle man. All of those superhero abilities are completely squashed by the guy with the ultimate problem solving skills. It's the ultimate skill yeah i would not be where i am today if i was not able to problem solve like a badass i'll i'll go ahead and i'll toot my own horn with that i can problem solve with the best of them chris and i know you can too you're more humble than i am with that but that is literally the key to my any success i've ever had is when i hit a problem solve it period you don't you don't have a choice really if you want any amount of success yeah well, I think there is something there, this grind mentality of I'm just going to keep poking this damn thing, trial and error until it starts working for me. And I am not going to give up until I've solved this problem. That sort of grit, that sort of self-starter mentality, that sort of grab the bull by the horns type of thing, that is like, there's absolutely no way that I would have achieved any level of success at all without that my any kind of audio skills or ear skills or technology skills are absolutely irrelevant well we were talking about it before the podcast and it's it's not that your audio skills and your business skills and these other skills are any less or more important than your problem solving skills or your ability to figure it the fuck out that's another way of saying problem solving skills it's more of an indicator of how good your ability to problem solve is because those who have the best sound those who have, you know, these other areas figured out, you know, audio engineering skills, uh, mixing, mastering, editing, whatever it is that you do, the people who are best at it are typically the ones who have the best problem solving skills uh, to begin with, because there is so much to learn. Audio is a complex thing, man. I'm sure you understand that, Chris. Man, you're really hitting home with me. You know, I think that there's a lot to that of, and this is one of the reasons that so many people have had so many frustrations with school with you know with an audio degree from college or, or whatever is that ultimately your success is going to be determined by your ability to problem solve not by how much you've been taught 
you know, you're going to get in the studio. There's a great saying, no plan survives contact with the enemy. So, you know, that's a, <laughs> yeah. a saying that's used in the military a lot. Is that from the art of war? I don't know if that's where I heard about it, but probably uh, great book, by the way. And this idea that no plan survives contact with the enemy. It's the same in the studio, man. You sit down with the band and stuff will go wrong or it'll go wrong beautifully or it'll go wrong in a really bad way. And suddenly you don't have the gear you thought you had or the gear you thought you had stops working or one of the channels and the board went out and you have to figure out a new way. Like there's constant problem solving. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. You're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. Yeah, I had that kind of stuff happen all the time where I had, I used to build PCs for my studio. I built it from scratch and it was a fun little project of, I guess that was a little mini problem solving project in and of itself. But then every two years, like clockwork, my PCs just shat out mid project. And it always happened in the middle of an album with a big band that I was recording both times that it happened. And both those times I had to figure out what to do. You're computer is dead. Your motherboard's down. You, you can't even get those old motherboards anymore because the parts change so fast, you know? And so what do you do in that scenario, Chris? Yeah. You got to figure it out, man. Yeah. And I had to overnight parts to build a new computer within 24 hours. So we and reinstall all my software on the new computer so we could not miss more than two days of recording time for that. Yeah. So this problem solving thing, man, I'm sure we're preaching to the choir here for you guys that have run studios you run into weird problems. It might be technical. It might be 
psychological. You know, you're with the band and suddenly uh, one of the band members is freaking out for some reason, you know, and they're having a meltdown. You got to figure out what to do about it. And, oh man, I don't even want to tell those stories. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, one of the biggest things that I've seen about problem solvers is that it's, it's not just that they are a problem solver and their friends aren't. It's that they just kind of, they, they say birds of the feather flock together. It's like, if you are the type of person that is going to figure it out, which is the theme of this entire episode, you typically are going to surround yourself with people who are going to figure it out too. They have the problem solver mentality or the self-starters or their autodidactics, the self-learners, those types of people. And one great way to do that is through mastermind groups. And we didn't really talk about this beforehand, Chris, but this doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with mastermind groups, but I want you to look at first, before we talk about masterminds, I want you to talk about something called the fave five. Those are the five people in your life that you spend the most time with and take a look at how they approach their problems. And if they're the type of person that immediately gives up, they're the type of person that immediately crumbles on the first sign of resistance on any problem that they hit. Those are probably not the people you need to be spending any more time with or not much at all. If you can at all help it. If you can start distancing yourself from those types of people, depending on the scenarios, I don't know what the scenario is. For some of you, you'll be like, I'm not going to shun that person in my life just because they can't solve problems. And some of you are thinking like, oh my God, these people I need to get rid of because I hate them and they hate me and I don't know why I even hang out with them. So it's, it's going to be very much a case by case basis here. But back to the mastermind groups thing, mastermind groups are a great way to surround yourself with people who can problem solve. And they are also a great way to bring problems to the group to help you. And we have uh, something in our mastermind group, which I haven't been in, in a bit, Chris, but hot seats. Yeah. So a little background here, me and Brian... Brian and I, Brian and I met in a mastermind group. It's a little group that we call Blamo, and it's a bunch of audio entrepreneurs. And it's kind of funny they ever even invited me because it's mostly like podcasters and bloggers. And I had yet to have a blog or a <laughs> podcast uh, when they invited me, but it was great. They knew it was in you. They knew it was in me. Lidshaw saw my potential. You know, it came from uh, our friend, our mutual friend, Lid Shaw. He has the Recording Studio Rockstars podcast. He had me on the show and uh, invited me to his mastermind group from there. And a lot of very close friendships have formed out of that. But it was specifically encouraging because, and here it is, guys, when you are running a small business, especially an audio business or a creative arts business like graphic design or photography or whatever, when you go to parties... And people say, oh, well, what do you do for a living? And you say, "Uh, I own a recording studio. You get two reactions from people. Some people, usually the the less intelligent of the group, go, oh, dude, that's awesome, cool. And the other just sort of give this look like, right, um, I'm going to go get a drink. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. I'm going to think this is something exclusively in Ohio because I don't experience that here in Nashville. (laughs) Well, you're in Nashville. It's totally different in Nashville, but everywhere else in the world, you get looked at funny when you say, oh, oh I'm a, uh, I'll make music for a living and it's lonely. And a mastermind group is about finding a few people that are like-minded. that are trying to build something similar to what you're trying to build and you meet regularly. And what we do with our mastermind group is we meet, we do it through zoom now, but we initially did it through Google Hangouts and it was like, you know, five or six people would get together on a Google Hangout and we'd talk about how stuff was going. And it was amazing because occasionally you'd have a problem and somebody else would say, oh, I I had a similar problem. Here's a tool that I use to solve it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, 
Zapier.com. Ah, <laughs> I'm going to use this thing. And like, it was just amazing to learn from people who had a similar tool set to you. And so a mastermind group is really, really valuable because um, they can teach you uh, what to Google for. They can teach you what tools might help you solve your problems and they can recommend books, man. You know, when you're in a group of people that are trying to do a similar thing and they're saying, oh, well, I found this book really helpful or I find this blog really helpful. That's worth its weight in gold. And it's so funny. Like I'll go to this mastermind group. I haven't been in two weeks, but, and I'm really struggling with this particular system that I'm trying to build or I'm really struggling with this concept. And someone will say, oh, have you read um, such and such? I'm like, no. <laughs> and then I'll buy the book on the spot, start reading it and be like, oh my gosh, this is a book that addresses the problem I had. This is great. And that's how me, me and you became friends. Yeah. Was recommending books back and forth in Mastermind Group. Yep. Well, I was your friend secretly before you ever met me just because I heard you on the Recording Studio Rockstars podcast and I knew immediately <laughs> we were going to be friends. Bingo. I read your blog and knew we'd be friends. Oh, there we go. All right. So the next thing uh, we have on our list, we have two more on how to figure it the fuck out or how to problem solve. And that is uh, something that's one of my favorite things. And that's just lunch meetings with people who've done it. Yeah. And it's, it's so easy. It's way easier than you think to reach out to someone who has already done whatever it is you're trying to do or done whatever it is you're hitting a roadblock or a, a resistance on and ask them out to lunch and ask them about the problem you're, you're encountering. And they can help walk you through the solution to that problem. And sometimes they may just hand it to you, which is less than ideal. But a lot of times they're going to point you in the right direction, which means maybe you have to read a book. How many books have you read to solve a problem that you had, Chris? 40, 50? 40 bucks, 40, 50 bucks. Yeah, I can't even count them. And, and, you know, so you have to be willing to do the work. But here's the thing, and this is why I take on so many lunch meetings myself for people that are coming to me with their problems is, and it's not always that, I'm just saying, it's because I eat lunch every day and everyone eats lunch every day for the most part, unless you're intermittent fasting or whatever. So, or you're an audio engineer that has to work through lunch because you're insane and you work 16 hour days every single day. Like I, okay. Yeah, I've been there too. But what I'm saying is most people eat lunch. And so it's a lot easier for someone to give you an hour of their time. If it's why they're stuffing their face with food than it is to ask for an hour of their time any other time, especially successful people. So if you encounter a problem and you know, there's someone in your immediate area that could help you get past that problem, it does not hurt to reach out and ask them out to lunch specifically saying, Hey, can you help me with this one problem I was having? I'd love to treat you to lunch if you can help me with that. Yeah. So lunch is amazing and people love to be asked for their advice. They love it. It's flattering actually. It is flattering. You know, even when I don't have any time and someone asks, you know, Hey, can I pick your brain about something? Even if I have absolutely no time, I'm super duper tempted to say yes because it's fun. It makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> so yeah, lunch meetings with people who've done it are great. And I just wanted to say one thing that no one's going to care about. I just thought it was funny. And this is in like the, the software startup world, especially for any of you who watch the show Silicon Valley. I've heard this, which comes back on this Sunday. Is it really yeah. come back this Sunday? It'll already be back on, on by the time this episode comes out. Oh, that's amazing. See, me and my friend Trevor, we're rewatching all of the episodes right now just because we're such fun. Anyways, this is a saying I've heard and it's, if you want advice, go to somebody asking for it in money, you know, meaning investors. If you want money, go to someone asking for advice. <laughs> so I think it's a funny little counterintuitive thing there. That's pretty amazing. All right, last one here. The number one in three, two, one, books. books. So 
this is the number one. So let me get on a high horse. Let me get on a soapbox for a minute here. Well, before you get on a soapbox, I just want to say, this is the entire point of books is to get you over a roadblock or a hurdle. But now, Chris, get on your soapbox. I didn't know that. I didn't know that back in the day. I thought the point of a book was to be vaguely entertaining. Huh. You know? Like, it's fictional, maybe, yeah. Well, but when you're in high school, the only thing that they ask you to really read cover to cover is fiction. Yeah. You should totally read, how you know, How to Kill a Mockingbird or something like that. Not, nothing against How to Kill a Mockingbird, but like freshman Chris Graham didn't give two squats about How to Kill a Mockingbird. Not at all. Me either. But if, if you had given me uh, there's a really, really, really fun book called the SAS Survival Manual. It's about how to survive like situations in the woods or, you know, apocalyptic. If you had handed me that as a freshman and said, here's like a bunch of cool stuff. There's a chapter on how to make booby traps and stuff. Sick. I would have been like, done. I'm going to get an A on this book report. And nobody told me that books could be so useful, that the nonfiction section was so awesome. And I think for most of us that are listening to this podcast and are saying, well, I'm not really a reader, it's probably because you were like bludgeoned with fiction in school. And if you want to get your head knocked over with more of Chris's soapbox, go back to episode one of the podcast where we talk about this a lot. Yeah. And so, man, I just, nonfiction is incredible, especially because it can make you a better human being. You know, you read, like I read the SAS survival manual and man, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm probably going to live longer than the next guy because I read the book. I've got a couple of books like that in my, in my bookshelf in there. It's like, I, I thought about this, Chris, and I'm not going to go for too long on this, but it's still entertaining is if we lost the internet, I'm basically useless. Like, I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought about like, what books do I need in the event that the internet goes out? So I, I got this like some sort of pocket reference guide that's like super thick, but it does fit in your pocket. And it contains all of the things you'd need to know in a post-internet world. So that's, that's amazing. A, that's a fun one there. So I'm going to share with you guys my nonfiction book philosophy. I might have mentioned it on the podcast before. I don't know if it got edited out. I don't typically listen to the episodes after they've been edited. But here's what got me reading so many books. I read one book. Actually, I read chapter five of one book, which is four-hour work week. I implemented it. I went back. I read the whole thing a couple months later after I started to experience some level of success, which I never had before, financially speaking. And then it occurred to me, wow, these nonfiction books are incredible. Who knew that there were actually books with useful information in them? <laughs> Who knew? That, that's hilarious because I went to one of the best high schools in the nation. I graduated in four years from a, from a college. You'd think I'm educated. I didn't know that books had useful information in what it. Was your, what was your GPA? Uh, like two, eight, two, nine, something okay. like that. Yeah. I think I had a 1.9. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so here's the thing that really got me reading a lot of books. I knew I was, you know, going to run a business for the long haul. I knew like, this is what I wanted to do. And it occurred to me that there were a lot of books out there that had information that I would someday need to be successful in my business. And I said to myself, self, I don't want you to be in a situation 15 or 20 years from now and think back and say, Oh, oh man, I just finished this book. I sure wish I had read this 15 years ago. Oh, I know that's coming. It happens every year of my life. I read a book and say, oh my gosh, if I had read this 10 years ago. Oh, what a waste. There are books right now that you will read someday that you will regret not reading way earlier because they would have 
change the trajectory of your life. And that has ruined me. So I'm reading all the time, just trying to make that number of books that I regret waiting, reading for a while. So if you're waiting to read four hour work week, you probably shouldn't do that. If you're waiting to read how to win friends and influence people, you probably shouldn't do that. If you're waiting to read the E-Myth Revisited, you probably shouldn't do that, especially if you're trying to build a business. And man, you know, the more of those books I read, the easier time I have figuring it out specifically. Here's, here we go for transition time because it's encouraging to me to know that other people made a living, made a life, made an impact by learning and by trying to figure it out. And here's a couple people from history, specifically the American Revolution, because the American Revolution back in the 1770s, 1780s, was the absolute pinnacle of self-starterdom. It was the pinnacle of it's cool to read and figure stuff out yourself. That's why they call it the quote-unquote enlightenment. So for those who are not U.S. citizens or just not well-versed in U.S. history, what's, what's the backstory? Why is it self-starter? Because I know about 30, 40% of our podcast listeners are not from the U.S. Yeah, so here's the story. So Great Britain in 1776 is the most powerful nation that has ever existed. They have the most powerful navy that has ever existed. They have more military might than anyone could have imagined up until quite recently. The Americas were the colonies of Great Britain. And at the time, America had the highest standard of living in the world but the British were being jerks and they were saying, we're just going to charge you guys taxes and you don't get any say in it. You don't get any representation. You don't get to vote. You get nothing. We're going to tell you how much the taxes are and you're going to pay it. And what's hilarious is the taxes that the British were levying were absolutely minuscule compared to the taxes that the U S government levies now. <laughs> absolutely teeny tiny. That's hilarious. On philosophy and principle alone, the Americans decided that they would rather die than be violated in this way. Yeah, the big thing was no taxation without representation was basically the big saying back then. So they made this decision that we would rather die than have our liberty messed with. So here's the problem they had with that. Only a few Americans had any military experience whatsoever. And even fewer of them had any military leadership experience whatsoever. The only guy who really did was George Washington. And here's the thing. He didn't have very good military experience. He had been shamed. He had like been involved in some shady stuff where they killed a bunch of people and they probably shouldn't have. And not the best guy, not the guy you're like, yes, we've got George Washington. Not the case. Now, here's the thing. They take on the British. The British have the most powerful Navy ever. And if you don't know much about the colonies of America, the East Coast, it's a lot of water and everyone lives by the water and the British have hundreds and hundreds of ships with cannons. They can wreck you. Not the enemy that you want. So here's what they do. A couple people, namely Nathaniel Green, Henry Knox, Benjamin Franklin, and Alexander Hamilton said, you know what? Let's figure this out. So Nathaniel Green's my favorite. Nathaniel Green, his family owned a company. So they had some degree of success and some degree of finance available to them. Nathaniel Green bought all the books that existed on military strategy and history and read them himself. He then became... Self-starter. He's a self-starter. He then joined the army and became one of the number one generals to fight in the Revolutionary War. No experience, 
no education, played a big role in defeating the most powerful army and navy in the history of the world. Whoa. Henry Knox, same story. Henry Knox owned a bookstore. He read every book on military history and strategy that he could, had absolutely no formal military education, no formal military experience, became one of the number one generals in America and defeated the most powerful military complex that had ever existed. Ridiculous. Hamilton, same thing, but worse. He's the (laughs) son of a prostitute. His dad is nowhere to be found. He's from the Caribbean, which is a complete backwater back then. It was not where you wanted to live back then. Makes his way to America. Ends up eventually meeting George Washington. Becomes one of the most powerful men in the world while George Washington, and certainly one of the most influential people. He taught himself banking. He's got his own musical now. That's why he's got his own musical. (laughs) Yeah. He taught himself banking and revolutionized the world by installing a, a banking system in America. Crazy. Ben Franklin, the ultimate self-starter OG. He's a runaway. You're a big Ben Franklin fan. Big Ben Franklin fan. Became the best diplomat in the entire world, the best scientist in the entire world, and the best politician in the entire world, all by reading books and experimentation. And that's unbelievable to me. And you look at these guys, you look at this pedigree that we have in our country in America of self-starters, of people who came here and said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to teach myself. And it's impressive. It's incredible. And there's a lot to learn by reading biographies about these guys, about, wow, what a world America, the 13 colonies were in 1776. America's not so much into the self-starter thing now, (laughs) not nearly as much as it was then, but these guys... They picked themselves up by their bootstraps, they educated themselves, and they became some of the number one people in their field, and in many cases, the number one person in their field without formal education. That's insane. Yep, and so the big equalizer here is the knowledge that they gained on their own, on their own time or their own dime, in order to solve whatever problems were laying before them. And all of you listening now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drunk History with Chris Graham. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, all of you listening now, you have more access to the knowledge that you need at your fingertips than anyone ever in the history of the world has ever had. They say the amount of knowledge or the amount of, the amount of knowledge or information doubles every five years, something crazy right now that's on the internet. It's it's something like an insanely, ridiculously huge rate of growth of what's available on the internet. And so anyone listening right now, you can figure it out, but you have to figure it out if you want to be successful in your studio or whatever it is you're trying to be successful at. If it's not your studio and you just have a very successful career that you're trying to keep pushing forward in and your studio is kind of a side project, you still have to figure it out. Whatever problems you encounter, you have to figure it out. And my hope with this episode is that some of you are listening right now and you've just encountered some sort of roadblock. You've just gotten encouraged or discouraged in some way, shape or form. And you're thinking about quitting or giving up. And this episode, I hope, is timely for you because this is the stuff you need to hear because you cannot let these small points of resistance or these little roadblocks that you're going to encounter because you're not going to ever stop encountering those. But what you can start doing is figuring it the fuck out. Figure it the fuck out. I love what you said there. We need to not take for granted the world that we live in. When Nathaniel Green and Henry Knox and Hamilton and Ben Franklin, when they wanted to learn something, you know what they had to do? 
Uh, well, other than Henry Knox, because he owned a bookstore. Yeah, had to go to a bookstore. They had to go to a bookstore, and the bookstore owner had to order the book from across the Atlantic Ocean. And not only that, you didn't have Amazon five-star reviews to help guide you in which books suck and which books are good. You have to trust the opinion of the bookstore proprietor and hope that they know what they're talking about and that the book that they're sending you or selling you doesn't suck. Yeah, so think about that. You walk into a bookstore because you want to solve a problem. You tell the bookstore owner, I would like XYZ book. He writes a letter that's sent by ship to Great Britain. One of his suppliers over there finds the book, puts it back on a ship, ships it back to the bookstore owner, and then the bookstore owner, I would assume, writes you a letter and lets you know that... It's probably at least a six-month wait. Yeah. (laughs) At least. Think about how much that would cost. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. I would guess in today, I'm just guessing here, guys. If you know, please reach out and let us know. I would guess that to get a book probably cost $50, $100 in today's money. I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the 500 plus range for a- Yeah. Ben Franklin like invented libraries. What did we get the printing press over in the US? Because that was a big, the big thing where you could just print them here. Well, it was here, but you didn't have like, uh, Ben Franklin's job. He was a printer, though primarily of newspapers. But it was still- the, the whole thing was centralized in London. And the big thing to keep in mind here and the thing to not take for granted is that you probably have a smartphone. And if you want, that smartphone can have the Kindle app on it. And if you want, you can buy any book ever and keep it in your pocket. <laughs> That's some great perspective for a lot of you listening right now. I think I've got a 64 gigabyte iPhone, iPhone X right here in front of me. I could probably put 100,000, 200,000. I don't, I don't even know. There's no way that I could ever read as many books as would fit on my phone in a lifetime. And many of them, the older ones are free and the newer ones cost nothing. It's like 10 bucks, dude. It's so cheap. The point my friend Chris here is trying to make is you have an amazing opportunity to right now. And by not making use of things like books or even things like your friend down the road who has gone through what you're dealing with right now, you are not making use of what you have available to you. And when you hit these roadblocks, when you hit these, these problems in your life and you just give up, you are slapping our forefathers in the face if you're American. Ooh, yeah, preach. if you're American, yeah. The big thing to keep in mind is this isn't an American thing. This is things, this self-starter mentality is something that immigrants brought to America. It's not American. It's immigrants who brought this to America. That's cool. I think I've got a good thing to end on this. So I hope that our sort of like soapbox talking about how great self-starterdom and self-education and reading books on your own. I hope that that's hit home with you. I hope that that's gotten you excited. There are books out there right now probably close to you, maybe even on your own bookshelf right now that you've been thinking, man, I need to read that. And you've been putting it off, you've been putting it off and putting it off. Someday you're going to get around to reading, especially these sort of like self-help classics, you know, these, you know, self-help business books, E-Myth Revisited, 4-Hour Workweek, How to Win Friends and Influence People, these type of books. Someday you're probably going to get around to reading them and you're going to think to yourself, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Why didn't I read this a few years ago? That would have changed everything. Do your best to not be that guy, to not be that girl. I just don't want to like build something, have it be pretty successful, and then have it absolutely catch fire figuratively and burn to the ground, have my business completely fold 
because I didn't know some things. Things that are written in books that you can buy at the used bookstore for a few dollars. Whoa. 